So in the summer of 2014, after yet another global tragedy in the Middle East, uh, where many people were killed, including many, many children, uh, the footballer and pundit Joey Barton took to Twitter to rant about the situation, complaining about how unfair it was and how in the light of particularly so many children dying, there are so many questions. And as he started tweeting, it was where he pointed the blame that was so interesting. This is what he said. If God does exist, then he has to have allowed this to happen, which makes him, well, a bit of a beep, really. Hashtag beep, beep, religion. And then, a few hours later, came the obligatory apology after lots of complaints about his language where he said these words. Shouldn't have used foul language in and around religion before, but was angry at what I'd seen. Apologies if I offended anyone. To my mind, I'm not sure he necessarily needed to apologize because what he was getting at is one of the oldest complaints, the oldest questions that humans have ever asked. He used particularly colorful language, language that shocked some, but it's a question that has haunted humanity since day one. It's a question that always reappears when tragedy happens both on a global scale or on a personal scale. It's a question that came up after this tsunami. You remember back in 2004 when hundreds of thousands of people were killed after an earthquake and tsunami in uh, Southeast Asia. A few days after the tsunami, this is what The Independent said in their newspaper. If God is God, he's not good. If God is good, he's not God. You can't have it both ways, especially after the Indian Ocean catastrophe. It is one of the biggest and most haunting questions of life. How do you handle the reality of suffering and pain and God? If there is a good God, why is there so much suffering and pain? Either he's not good or he can't do something about it and therefore he's not God. If you like, if God is good, why is there so much bad? That's the question we're looking at this morning. As we come to the end of this series that we've been looking at over the last few months, where we've been thinking about some important questions that are often asked of Christianity that we might ask ourselves, society might ask, or that certainly at some point in our lives we may ask. And that's what we're looking at today. If God is good, why? Why is there so much bad? It's a huge philosophical question. The greatest minds throughout history have pondered this question. In fact, I think you can argue that every single worldview, every single religion has a perspective on this, whether it is a faith a worldview that believes in a God or not. Some answer this by trying to defend God and place the blame on your past lives or your past sins. Karma, if you will. If something bad is happening to you, it's because of something in your past that you did. That's one way that some people answer it. Other people don't try to defend God. They try to, as it were, uh, ignore suffering. And so that if you pray in a certain way or meditate in a certain way or do certain things, you can escape suffering, rising above it, reaching nirvana, if you like. 
there's a kind of secular equivalent of that, which is basically, I can't deal with this and so I'm going to drink my way to oblivion or drugs or sex or relationships or career, whatever it is, to avoid suffering. That's one way to deal with it. Try to avoid it. Some try to avoid it by effectively leaving it up to some sort of divine fate where we just have to put up with suffering because it's God's will, the unmoved mover. He just dishes it out, so deal with it. You're not God, he is. And some, of course, doubt that there is a God and say that there can't be a God, therefore, there's no problem to the question. Which, of course, makes us ask, why does the question keep appearing? Why do we know that when certain things happen in the world, they are not right? If it is just survival of the fittest, c'est la vie. Why do we feel that actually something is wrong? It's a huge philosophical question. But it's also a massive personal question, isn't it? At some point, we will deal with this question. And I'm very aware that in the room right now, this morning, this is not a philosophical question. This is very, very real because of what you're going through or because of what a loved one is going through. And if that's not true now, it will be at some point in life where the horrors of life, the pain of life, whatever it may be, just feels overwhelming and this question in various forms appears. It is a philosophical, but it's a deeply personal question. But it's also a practical question. How do we respond in suffering? If it is just divine will, well then it's surely what God wants and therefore we don't need to help people. It's what God wants. Or, or if, if it is just kind of we try to escape it, well, there's nothing to help anyway. We just kind of live going like this as though, no, 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 I don't want to deal with it. Or, of course, if there is no God, well, it is survival of the fittest, isn't it? So why do we help those weaker? So it's intensely philosophical, deeply personal, very practical. What do we do with it? And so as we grapple with this, I want to suggest that I think the Christian viewpoint on this, the Christian perspective on this, is the most realistic, the most honest, the most livable, and the most hopeful. It will not answer all of your questions. I have many. But I want to suggest the Christian perspective is both unique and immensely powerful for all of us, whether you are somebody who follows Jesus or not. I think it works. And to help us, we're going to look at a bit of the Bible, a little brief snapshot, a, a moment in Jesus's ministry that I think gives some helpful insights. And we're going to read it together. It's going to come up on the screen. It's from Luke chapter seven, a little story where Jesus encounters very real suffering. Let me read it to you. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin they were carrying, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. 
The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So three perspectives on the Christian perspective that I think is really good news and this little moment helps us with. And here's the first one. I think the Bible is honest about suffering. Brutally, realistically honest about the presence and pain of suffering in this world. I don't know if you know who this guy is. Probably most of us know who this guy, one of our best loved kind of public figures, Stephen Fry. He's somebody who is not a believer in God. He would call himself an atheist. And a number of years ago, he was on Irish TV being interviewed about his life. And and particularly, they were asked a question about God and his view of atheism and all of that. And he said these words. After looking at the suffering in the world, he said, it's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever if he's there. And then he said these words. The moment you banish him, that's God, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, and more worth living, in my opinion. Now, on the surface, we can see the temptation of that view. With the reality of suffering, if we just get rid of God in our minds, then surely we can just move on with life, get on with ourselves, rather than being caught up with these existential questions. It was summarized by a bus in London. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, there was this campaign in London by the Secular Society where they put these on the side of the buses. There's probably no God, now stop worrying, enjoy your life. It's the same thing. Just move on, grow up out of those questions and life will be sweeter. Can I make an observation? As one author, Francis Spufford, so powerfully states, When the bus comes by and tells you that there's probably no God so you should stop worrying and enjoy your life, the slogan is not just bitterly inappropriate in mood. What it means, if it's true, is that anyone who isn't enjoying themselves is entirely on their own. It amounts to a denial of hope on any but the most chirpy, squeaky, bubblegummy reading of the human situation. Augustine called this kind of thing cruel optimism 1,500 years ago, and it's still cruel today. Which is why the research suggests atheism thrives in society with a high level of comfort and wealth globally. You can say enjoy your life when life is sweet. when it's comfortable, when you don't need God. When in situations, think about the slave songs. What were they crying out for? Swing low, sweet chariot, carry me through the other side. Not, get on, move on, grow up, enjoy life. And the same is true for other worldviews. The Bible doesn't try to escape suffering or try to pray out of it or blame you. 
Look again. Jesus went to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Here we have, in a society with no welfare state, a very patriarchal society where, frankly, if you had no husband, you were on your own. She had no husband, and now her only son is now dead. The Bible is brutally real. Some things in life are not fair, are not right. They are wrong. This is deeply painful in the pages of the Bible. The Bible doesn't try to brush it under the carpet as though it's an awkward question we can't quite grapple with. No, face to face with the real honesty of suffering. It hurts, it is real, and it's wrong, says the Bible. And I think we forget quite how radical the Bible really is. We don't try to brush over it. Look at the heroes of the Bible. They're not heroes. There's all sorts of mess. Christianity is brutally honest about your suffering and mine and the world around us. It is real, it does hurt, and it's not right. Listen to the words of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Half the Psalms are Psalms of lament, pouring out, God, why, when? Where are you? The point is this. If right now you feel the weight of suffering in this world, there are things in your life that are not fair, that just are brutally painful for you, or you've got loved ones who are really going through it, you have an ally in Jesus. He understands that there is a lot in this life that really hurts and it's not right. So the Bible's brutally honest. I think that's helpful. It's a good starting point. But of course, that's not just it, is it? If that were it, that's refreshing, but that doesn't help us that much, does it? We need to know there's something more than that, and here's the second aspect. Not only is the Bible brutally honest about the reality of suffering, I think the Bible tells us that God cares about suffering. It's often said, isn't it, we've sung of the storms of life. It's often said that in those storms, you don't just need to know a way out of the storm, you need to know you're not alone in the storm. Which is why children in the middle of scare, what do they call out? They call out, don't they? need somebody to bring comfort. Just need to know you're not alone. You can't put a price on having people around you, can you? I remember a friend who had lost somebody in their family and they had a knock on the door from somebody in their church and the person, when they opened the door, the moment they opened the door, the person who came to the door just burst into tears. And my friend said that moment was one of the most comforting moments because this person didn't try to placate with words but simply was there saying, I don't know what to say, it's just awful. Knowing we're not alone makes a world of difference, doesn't it? And the incredibly beautiful thing about the Christian perspective on suffering is that not only is there a kind of family within God's people and all of that, 
but actually that God himself cares. Look again, in response to this woman, look at what happens. Large crowd from the town was with her and when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. He's not an unmoved mover, dishing out. Deal with it. His heart went out to her. The literal word there is he had compassion for her. You know what the word compassion means? It means suffer with. So this isn't just Jesus kind of saying, ah. It's Jesus suffering with her. Her pain caused him pain. And you know what, friends? Your pain causes him pain. He not only weeps for you, he weeps with you. That's good news. God is not indifferent. He cares. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, some of you may know some of my story, um, I remember in the middle of the night, in our bathroom, sobbing. We have two young children at the time, one with very severe disabilities, meaning no sleep, exhaustion, and a wife with cancer. I was exhausted and I was in a kind of garbled mess, sort of praying, sort of shouting, sort of just going, God, please, I've got nothing. And in that moment, I thought of the cross of Jesus, and it's a game changer, isn't it? Because there we not only have God caring from a distance, tears from a distance, we have God with us in our suffering. That's good news that he really does care. And that's why John Stott famously said these words, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? And as one author so helpfully says, if we ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue? And we look at the cross of Jesus, we still don't know what the answer is. However, we know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. Friends, I know, and there are people in this room who know that is real. It's a game changer. Jesus weeps with us and for us. God cares about your situation, about the things that have been done against you that nobody else knows. That pain that you carry, maybe even in your mind, that no one else knows, no one else gets. God cares. That's the Christian perspective. That is good news. And it's okay to be brutally honest about it. That is good news. But that's not enough, is it? It's good to have a God who cares. It's good that the Bible's honest, doesn't brush it away. But actually we need help. We need someone that can do something, don't we? Which leads us to the third perspective. That Christianity is good news in suffering because there is hope in suffering. He can do something about it. Forgive me if this is painful for some in the room, but I think it's worth sharing. 
a few weeks ago, a distant friend of mine posted something deeply tragic on Twitter. Here it is. After a long battle with depression, it grieves us to say that our precious son, Harry, is now with the Lord at the tender age of 14. He never lost his faith. We know that our Redeemer lives and we long for the day of reunion. Try telling them, there's probably no God, stop worrying, enjoy your life. Try telling them life without God is simpler, purer, cleaner, and not more worth living in my opinion. Or that God's unmoved by it. Or that it's an illusion, you can just escape it by drinking your way out of it. They need hope. And so do people in this room right now. So do we all. Listen again to the passage we read. And Jesus went up and touched the coffin they were carrying, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus demonstrates in very real suffering that he not only cares, but that he has the power to do something about it. Which is why here at Riverside we do pray for healing, we're happy to do so today if you'd value that. But even more than that, the reality is that there is much pain and heartache and horror and sadness that is not healed in the here and now. Which is why it's worth noticing what the power that Jesus has is. It's not just power over health as though Jesus were a brilliant doctor or making people feel a bit more better, a bit better, a bit more self-esteem about themselves. He has power over death, which is why people's reaction is startling. Look at it. God has come to his people. Only God can do this stuff. This is not a magician. If God really does care about the very real pain in this world and has stepped in to help his people, it makes sense that he overcomes the greatest enemy, which is death itself. That's the help we need, isn't it? Which is why it is good news that the cross is empty. That gives hope in very real suffering. And I want to suggest that actually it's the only hope that makes a difference. Can I again be brutally honest? When Claire was diagnosed with the cancer, some of you know what it's like to be in that consulting room and hear the C word. The bombshell that changes everything. And we prayed for healing, and by God's goodness, it looks through the wonders of modern medicine that, that's really helped her, brilliant. But I've asked for a permission to basically say, any cure is only ever temporary. She will die at some point. I will die, we all will die at some point. It's great, believe me, it's great that she's got many more years. But ultimately, the enemy, the thing, the greatest cause of suffering, we need hope in because we can do nothing to prevent it. We need someone that can help us overcome death. That is good news. That is hope. 
And here you've got Jesus showing, not only does he care for you, not only is, he, is it really honest about the reality, but actually there is hope for all of us in the middle of deep suffering. Can I suggest that works in life? It really does. Can I suggest having visited many people in hospital, sat with people in hospices, knowing family members grappling with all sorts of stuff, walking with long-term health issues, chronic disability, that makes sense and that is hope. Which is why Francis Bufford so well said, far more can be mended than you know. We may have many questions, I do, but I want to put my hand firmly in the one who cares enough for the very real pain and could take us even through death. In the Psalms, we read these words, weeping may stay for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Friends, even for you, for me, there is very real hope. And it may be just today for one or two of us that we wanna simply with all our questions say, God, there's so many things I don't know, but I wanna trust in you that there's hope. And even for some of us this morning, we might wanna simply say, yes, Jesus, I wanna put my hand in, in with yours. Please carry me forwards, walk with me. I, I realize that I'm not alone, you've got me. I have many questions, but I know you're with me. Please, Lord, have mercy. So we're gonna pray in a moment. But before we do so, we're gonna watch a song, a video, which is a, a song. It's just the lyrics, lyrics of a song on the screen. And the song is called, You're Gonna Be Okay. And please hear this, this is not a trite, you're gonna be okay, don't worry, don't cry over spilt milk. This is a deeply profound hope because of that light in the darkness that we've already sung about. So you may, as we, see, as we watch this, and use this as a time for you and God in your own head to kind of pray, God, I've I got so many questions, but please help me. And then on the back of this, we'll pray. So let's watch this. Let's pray together. You may find it helpful to close your eyes. I'm simply gonna ask us to do something with our eyes closed. If those words where it says, you know, just take one step closer, that actually you know out of this morning, that's what you need to do. And that it's not about you kind of doing something hard, as it were, to kind of magic away suffering. But what it is, is, is stepping closer to Jesus to say, yep, I'm heading towards you because I know that in you there is hope. If that's something you want to do this morning, whether that is for the first time or whether it is something that you know just where you're at right now, here we are with our eyes closed. If that's you, do you wanna just pop your hand in the air just by way of kind of saying, yep, that's me, that's me. Do you wanna do that now?
in a moment, the band are going to lead us as we sing. We're going to respond. And it may be that you'd love somebody to pray with you, whether you've put your hand up or not. I encourage you to head to the back. The prayer team would love to do that. I'll head back there as well. Wherever you're at, whatever's going on, that actually in the middle of this, you would know that Jesus cares for you. He understands. And there really is hope for you. So should we stand together and I'll pray. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you. Thank you that the Bible is very real. That has much to say about our present situation. And Lord, we thank you that we know that you care. And even more than that, Lord, we thank you that there is hope even beyond death. Holy Spirit, would you do your work in our lives, making that very real, we pray. Pray particularly for those this morning for whom this is really resonated. Have mercy, we pray. Show them your real and show them your presence with them, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen.